When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Terrio Media. Welcome to the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. And this is where we show people how to invest in real estate so they can escape the daily grind and retire early. Today, we are going to talk about buying a house with zero down. Welcome to the all new Epic Real Estate Investing Show, the longest running real estate investing podcast on the interwebs, your source for housing market updates, creative investing strategies, and everything else you need to retire early. Some audio may be pulled from our weekly videos and may require visual support. To get the full premium experience, check out Epic Real Estate's YouTube channel, epicrei.tv. If you want to make money in real estate, sit tight and stay tuned. If you want to go far, share this with a friend. If you want to go fast, go to reiace.com. Here's Matt. You might have heard about it or seen it on a late night infomercial and uh, maybe wondered how does this really work or does it work at all? Oh, well, first thing is it most definitely works. Second thing is there are countless ways to do it and there's countless ways that you can pull it off and and the third is I've got an example here for you today that I'm going to walk you through. I'll walk you through the process step-by-step. Step. This is one of my recent deals. All righty. So if you'd like to go deeper though with strategies like these and get some help with it, you might like what I am doing next weekend. I'm getting together live via Zoom with a small group of investors for a creative financing masterclass. And if you'd like to join us, you can get all of the details at creativefinancingmasterclass.com. So here's the deal. And this is a property that came to me via my network and it was a fix and flipper who obviously was fixing up this house and he was almost done with it. Um, he had some foundation work still to attend to, but he got the interior all nice and he got the roof up and he got the electrical and the plumbing and everything was really good. But something came up in his life and some sort of emergency and he needed to get out of it. And he called me up. I wanted it. So I was like, sure. I always say, yes, let me take a look. But um, I need some initial information. So first, I want to know exactly what it was worth. So I pulled some really, really quick cuffs and saw the fair market value of 143. And what he needed was 129.9. That's what he had into it. He was going to try to get his money out. He wasn't going to, he's going to forego any sort of profit. He just wanted to break even. And at 129.9, that's like for a 143, he probably uh, over invested into this property and put a little bit too much money into it and uh, found himself like uh, no way out. So I think panicked a little bit. Anyway, it was all done as great workmanship. I had my people go over and take a look. And so the market rent was 1200 
And so those are like the basic pieces of information that I need. I need to know what the market is, uh, value says, what is the market saying about the value? What is the asking price? I need to know the condition of the property. And then I need to know what it rents for. I just need those four pieces of information to be able to assess whether or not it's, I want to look deeper into this deal. So I got that information. Obviously, I don't have the rehab up there because he just rehabbed it. So I'll turn my physical inspection. I'll figure out what the foundation is, uh, what that's going to run. First, I look for equity. So does this have equity? I'm going to look for the two things. And the first thing is equity. And as I'm looking at this, there might be $13,000 of equity. Not a whole lot for sure. Uh, if I wanted to flip this myself, by the time I purchased it and took on closing costs and then resold it with closing costs, you know, it's probably going to gobble up at least half of that, probably five, 6,000, it might be five or $6,000 left for me. So not really a flip opportunity for me. And so then can I buy and hold it? What cash flow? So I look at just the market rent, right? The basic 1% rule, maybe you've heard of this, but what I'm looking for is I want the market rent, the monthly market rent to be greater than 1% of the purchase price and the purchase price being that's got to be your acquisition price and if there's any rehab to go with it okay so those two together make up your or constitute your purchase price so as i'm looking at this you know it's 129.9 and the market rent is 1200 so we're not quite there that would need to, for it to match exactly to me to be 12.99 right that that market rent was 12.99 that'd be one percent of the asking price of 129.900 so it's Worthy of me looking into it deeper, but it's probably not going to be a great cash flowing property. It might eke out a little bit of cash flow each month. And then with the, the increasing interest rates, so my payments are going to be a little bit higher on that loan if I were to get one. So I don't know. It doesn't seem like a real slam dunk for me. But anyway, I'm going to make an offer on this property so that it is a slam dunk for me. So it does make sense for me. So I'm going to focus on the asking price. This is what he really needs. This is where his motivation is. He wants to get his money out. And we know as creative real estate investors, we purchased a property in one of two ways, by either our price and the seller's terms or the seller's price and our terms. As long as we can control one of those things, we can always create a deal for ourselves. Sellers, they're just attached to the price, right? You and I, we, we might be familiar with terms and, and subject tos and, and lease options and wraparound mortgages, stuff like that. But uh, most sellers haven't have the slightest clue as to what that is. And all they do is focus on their price. So a lot of the times I just kind of give them their price. But then I propose the terms that, that I would need to make that price fair for me. All right. So here was my offer. Uh, I offered the 129.9 and I offered him 10% down. He did own the property free and clear. I offered him 10% down. And then I offered 100 monthly payments of $600. And this is my typical first step or my first offer, my first approach. Cause what I'm offering here is 10% down. So I'm giving them a little bit of cash and I'm offering half, $600, that's half of what the rent is. So that's my formula. I offer half of that, and then I'll offer them a, a blue payment on the 101st payment. So that's where I kind of my starting point most of the time, unless there's like some other underlying circumstances with their motivation, the reason that they're leaving, or the reason that they're moving. All right, so he said, no, thank you. Didn't like that deal. So a couple of days later, he came back with a counter offer after he thought about it for a while. So he wanted his price still, but he needed some more money down at closing. So he asked for a 20% down payment. I was like, all right. And then he asked for a 30-year amortized at 5%. And that would be a $563 payment. See, my, me offering 100 payments of $600, I was, those were principal-only payments. That I didn't, wasn't offering an interest rate. And so he was a little bit more sophisticated and asked for an interest rate. So he wanted a 30-year amortized loan at 5%, a 
563, which actually brings my monthly payment down a little bit. So my cash flow position will probably be a little bit better, but he does want 20% down. So that's the exchange. And then he wants the balloon payment due in five years. Of those hundred payments, that's about eight and a half years, eight and a third years. So he wanted his money a little bit sooner. And so I was like, okay, well, we got a starting point. This is kind of what I'm always looking for. If I can submit a creative offer and just get a counter offer back, I know I've almost always got a deal. If I can get a counter back from my creative offer, I always, I can almost always make a deal. So I get really pretty good about this, but is this really a deal? So I got to calculate it. So I want to know what my ROI is, my return on investment. And in this scenario, my actual investment would be the 20% down, $25,980. So what I need to do is take what's my annual income from the property, which would be $1,200. We're going to multiply that by 60%. Okay. So $1,200 is my monthly income multiplied by 60%. And that's just my quick and dirty map. I take off 40% for taxes, insurance, maintenance, vacancy, and property management. If I get the property accepted and get under contract, I'll go back and fine tune those numbers and make sure that they're right on. But for the most part, that's, that's a good rule of thumb for me. So I'll multiply by 60% minus the $563, the payment that I'd be making to the seller, which is going to give me $157 a month, right? So now I know what my actual net cash flow will be, my cash after debt service each month. Now to figure out my ROI, I need that to be annualized. So I have to take the 157, multiply it by 12, 12 months, and then divide it by how much money I'm putting into the deal, which is $25,980. So that gives me a 7% cash on cash return. Now, not a bad deal, right? I would be in the positive. I would own a piece of income producing real estate and you know, I'd get all the benefits of ownership. But, you know, in today's market, you know, if you could find that on the multiple listing service, that, that's probably a pretty good deal. But if I'm going to take $25,000, $26,000 and put it towards a deal, I can probably do a little bit better than that because I know how to find the deals off market. And so I'm not too excited about it. So for me, it was a big no thank you. Now, there's a, an ideology or a philosophy that I operate from, and that's to never let the ball bounce twice in my court. So anytime you get an offer, always counter offer. Even if the original offer was terrible, even if it was, you know, way out of the ballpark, wasn't even close, even if you're offended by that offer, always submit a counter offer. You know, the name of the game in real estate investing is offers, offers, offers. But if you're not submitting offers and not giving the other party the opportunity to actually sign a piece of paper, you're never going to do deals. So you always got to counter it. All right. So never let the ball bounce twice in your court. So I'm going to counter it back. And so this is what I came with. Left the price alone. And so I said, let's meet in the middle. I'll give you 15% down. So it's $19,485. Now with the payments, uh, I really wanted those principal only payments, right? I really wanted those because I want to buy down the equity. Because if I'm going to have that balloon payment, I want to try to create a nice little equity position for myself. The appreciation alone will probably do it enough. But, you know, if I can create equity position a little bit more by buying down the debt, that's why I want those principal only payments. So what I proposed is a 30 amortization, but years one through two at three and a half percent. Okay. So he wanted five. So I'm going to say for years one and two, I'm going a little bit lower, three and a half percent, I'll give you $495 a month. That's going to allow me to apply a little bit more of the rent towards the loan pay down to create that equity position. And then years three through five, I'll actually give you more than what you asked for, five and a half percent. So that's the compromise. So we'll take my payment up to $626. And then we'll go ahead and we'll, I'll grant him the balloon payment due in five years. Now he had mentioned that there was a, some issues with, with the foundation that still needed to be worked on. So I asked for a six month moratorium to actually be able to get that work done. 
I know right now the, the contractor situation might be difficult for me to get a specialist out there to be able to do that type of work. Plus the house is vacant and I want some time to find a tenant as well. So I asked for a six month moratorium on the first. And what that actually uh, calculates to is a potential 29% cash on cash return versus the 7% return previously. So by leaving the price alone and just tweaking the terms, and we didn't tweak them that much, right? We took a little bit less money down, or we're offering a little bit less money down, and we just did this escalating interest rates. Then we're asking for the six-month moratorium on the first payment. So there's not going to be any payments for the six months. That's calculated to a potential 29% cash on cash return. So I was like, okay, if he takes this, I'm down. And he did. So we had a deal. So I began my due diligence and ordered the physical inspection. I wanted to see how much that foundation work was going to be. And it wasn't as bad as I thought. It was only 35 100 bucks. And it's just good that I that it made an allowance for it. We went ahead and I just ran the detailed market analysis. It turned out that the house was very close to $143,000. Conducted my due diligence. Everything was up and up. He did great work inside of the property. There wasn't anything, any robust for repairs or anything like that. But I did have this $3,500 foundation work that needed to be done. I didn't calculate that because I knew I was going to ask for later. And I told him, hey, let me have, uh, I'll have a look at the foundation. We might have to have a talk about this later. He says, okay, no problem. So we got that. And so what I asked him for was a maintenance credit of $3,500. In fact, I think in this deal, I actually wrote it in as a foundation credit. And that's a key thing to ask for. Rather than asking for a $3,500 reduction in the price, because the sellers, they're in love with their price. You got to leave the price with them. You got to let them keep their price. I just asked for a maintenance credit or a foundation credit of $3,500. And if you ask for a price reduction or a credit to your bottom line, it's the same thing. Just psychologically, it's something there a little bit different for the seller. They tend to uh, accept that a little bit easier. And if you can put a label on that credit that justifies what it's for. So I call it a foundation credit. Typically, I'll just ask for a maintenance credit if there's a bunch of repairs. But this particular deal asks for a, a foundation credit. And what that does is it comes off of my actual down payment. So instead of coming in with $19,485, I like to come in with $15,985. So I reduced quite a bit there what I have to come in with. So 16 grand is what I need. I don't want to come in with the 16 grand either though. So where am I going to find that? Well, I have a neighbor. His name is Peter. And uh, I walked over to Peter's house and I said, Hey, Peter, uh, you know what? I've got an opportunity for you. How would you like to earn 6% on your money? And uh, he said, that sounds great. It's in the CD right now. I'm not even getting 1%. Perfect. He said, they asked me how much I need. I said, I need $26,000. And that's typically what I will do when I'm going out and looking for private money, particularly these types of bridge loans like this. It's because I want to put some cash in my pocket. Like I'm going to own this house. It's going to cash flow. I'm going to have all the benefits of real estate ownership, but I want some cash too. I want some cash and some cash flow. So that right there, you know, there's like a, what, a $10,000 spread. Okay. So let's do it a little analysis and see what we got. So our gross rent is 1200 bucks. We're going to subtract insurance. Now, instead of doing that 40, deducting the 40% up to the actual numbers. So there's Minus 68 bucks for the insurance, property management's 120, uh, property taxes, and then vacancy and maintenance about another 120 bucks. That's a little bit of an estimation, but that's where we ended up. That gives us a net operating cost of $778. Now we have to subtract the first loan of $495 a month, and then subtract the second loan of $130 a month. And what that leaves me with, cash after debt service is what, that $153 a month? So I've got the cash flow of 153 a month. So what that does is, since I borrowed this money from Peter, I don't have any money in the deal. So if we go over to the lower right-hand corner where uh, our potential 29% cash on cash return is, it actually turns that into an infinite return. And that's kind of the 
my favorite types of deals. This is a zero down deal. I didn't put any money into this deal, right? So it gives me an infinite return. So what I have here is I got about $10,000 of cash I get to put in my pocket and I got $153 a month of cash flow. And then I've got this six month moratorium where I'm not having to make any payments for six months. So the cash flow is going to be a little bit higher. And this is a zero down deal. This is the typical deal that I'll do. And you just kind of, you know, we want to get in a place where you, you can engage the seller to get them to be open to creative financing, to be open to seller financing, whether it's subject to or a wrap or a lease option or anything like that. And as long as you get them open to the idea, then you got them. Now you can just go for the terms and you can negotiate back and forth until you both experience a, a win-win result. But the second loan over those six months, I was able to flip a couple of properties and pay off Peter's loan. So there was that. But here's the other great thing about these deals. Even though I paid full price and a lot of people, oh, you're, you know, I would never pay full price. You know, you can't look at it that way. You got to look at the ROI and what it actually gives you. But here's something that I do with these types of deals is every six months, I set a little reminder on my calendar to actually call the seller. And the conversation sounds something like this, a little different each time. But uh, Mr. Seller, I just called to say hello and thank you for selling the property for me. It's performing really well. You did a great job on the work over there. And I just want to make sure that you're getting your $495 a month, getting your payments every month. Great. Perfect. The second reason I'm calling is I'm getting ready to buy another property. And on this property, I'm going to have to come in with about $80,000. And before I go and buy that property, you know, I like this one so much. I just wanted to give you a call and see if you'd be open to you know, just a payoff of what I owe. I know it's not the full balance, but you know, if you're tired of getting the $495 and you can use the 80,000, I'd rather give it to you than, than go out and buy a new property. And that's the normal conversation. And I'll have that conversation every six months. And then every time I have that call, that 80,000 is probably going to come down to like 75,000, 70, it'll get a little lower each time. And with that strategy, with that technique, we get uh, probably 70%, I think is our last in the calculation. 70% of those we pay off early at a big discount within three years of us taking this on. Almost never get to that three to five year at five and a half percent interest rate. Almost never get to the end. Most of the time we're able to pay it off at, at, at a big discount. All right. So like I said, if you want to get together with us and you want to get together with a group of uh, investors live via Zoom for Creative Financing Masterclass. And uh, we're going to talk about what we just did right here and up. Uh, bunch of other stuff. I mean, when it comes to creative financing, you know, really the sky's the limit. You're limited only by your own creativity and a bunch of new ideas that you can work with and fill up your toolbox. And for those that uh, register today, you'll get instant access to my ever growing lending relationships. And right now they're providing 100% funding for your fix and flips, meaning they're going to come in. You bring them a deal, they'll buy the property for you. And they'll give you the money to fix it up a hundred percent. And they got a couple different programs around that structure. So that's one thing. And then bridge funding for your creative deals, like what we just did here. In case you don't have a friend like Peter, they've got those loans available for you there as well. And then asset based rental loans. And what that means is they're looking more at the deal itself, more at the debt service coverage ratio of your deal and not as much as your, your credit score. A perfect credit score is not uh, required to qualify for these loans. So you'll get instant access to that. And that's just one, just one of eight bonuses valued at $5,000. Those are the bonuses, but here's the meat. This is what we're really getting together for. If you wanted to creatively finance your real estate investments from finding the right opportunities to negotiating the right terms or to structuring the paperwork, to organizing the clothes, to collecting your profits, to doing all that stuff and 
might want to just join us to learn what I and my Rockstar students are doing for their real estate portfolios. And we're going to orchestrate everything to apply it to yours so you can do this immediately. We're going to show you how you can actually pull it off. All right. So it's a live interactive virtual class. It comes with a 300% success rate guarantee. And all those deals can be found at creativefinancingmasterclass.com. Here's what the actual day-to-day schedule is. The schedule of the day. Session one, the start was just kind of laying the foundation. Start with the basics. So this is a new concept or a, a new subject for you. We're going to make sure that you understand the effective financing strategies, the meat and bones of it, or meat and potatoes. Meat and bones, meat and potatoes. That's the same thing, right? The foundation. Then second, we're going to go over the secret to getting sellers to accept creativity. And this is really where the, the magic happens. This is where most people will get stuck is I can't find any sellers that are open to seller financing. Well, it's really, really easy if you know how to present it. And that's what I'm going to go over there. And then number session three, we'll go to how to create creative offers. I'm going to go over specifically the three option letter of intent. And this is a tool that I've used to build almost my entire portfolio up until just about two years ago when I started, uh, when I became lendable again. But I built the, almost my entire real estate portfolio up to 350 units based off of creative financing using this three option letter of intent. And uh, one of my clients, Josh Miller, he did 55 extra deals using a three option letter of intent. And he used it a different way that I did it. So I'm going to show you how he used it as well. He did 107 deals that year and 55 of those deals came from using this three option letter of intent. And then we're going to go over how to, session four is how to close creative deals, specifically the logistics and the paperwork. This is another sticking point for a lot of investors because there's not a lot of closing agents, not a lot of escrow officers and title agents and even real estate attorneys that understand what we do here. And it can be tough to find someone to put all the paperwork together for you. And, and people just get stuck there. And I don't want you to get stuck. So I'm going to show you a nice little hack on how to make that work. So anytime you get one of these properties or one of these deals under contract, that's got all kinds of creativity into it, inside of it, there'll be no problem to close and collect your check. Okay. And then um, picking the right market for creative financing. So there's a lot of different things to look at in the markets. And this is where Josh Miller is actually going to be showing, showing up with me and going to show you his new market picking tool. And it's a total free tool to use. He'll give you the link and you can go and knock your socks off and look all over the country for different markets. Maybe you're living in the one that's the, the best one for you. Or if you want to do it virtually, then uh, you can do that as well. Okay. So he's going to give that to you. And then session seven. Now this is getting a little bit more advanced. It's called the deal after the deal. You see, with every creative financing deal, there are the terms of the sale. There's the terms of the loan. And then there's the terms of the paperwork. And most people understand the terms of the sale. Most people understand the terms of the loan, but there's so much money to be made in the terms of the paperwork that we call the deal after the deal. And I'm going to give you that paperwork so that you can use it on every deal and you don't let leave it anything on the tape. All right. Then the last session, session eight, I'm going to show you what I've been doing creatively, kind of uh, moving my money around to really maximize the ROI and how hard my money works for me times three. It's called velocity investing. And I multiplied my ROI while simultaneously reducing my risk. We'll be back with more right after this. Hope is not a financial strategy. Let's get back to work. 
Today, I'm going to talk about subject two, subject to real estate investing. What this is, is where you get to purchase a property. It's a really popular strategy where you get to purchase a property of which the existing loan on the property stays in place. So you take ownership of the property. Your name ends up on title and the loan stays in the seller's name. The loan doesn't get paid off. It passes along with the property. So it's really nice because you get to buy the property with the financing already in place. So you own the property and you make the payments on the seller's loan. That's how it works. And I'll show you a recent deal of my own and how it all came about. And then uh, how I put the paperwork together and how I actually overpaid for it. I paid more than what it was actually worth and still got a 53% return. Actually better than that, but I'll, I'll show you how I did that. Okay. There's the house. It was actually a condominium. And I don't buy many condominiums, but this one was kind of unique and it was really nice and a nice part of town. And I wanted it. I wanted to have a property down there. This is uh, in a nice area of St. Louis. And the tenant was already in place. So I didn't have to go out and find a tenant. Management was in place as well. And it rents for $1,050 a month. So there we are so far. Now the value is $110,000. But there was a seller financed mortgage, not a traditional bank mortgage, but a seller financed mortgage of $90,000 on the property. And it was pretty appealing because it had 0% interest and the monthly payment was $450. And the property had just been rehabbed and the tenant was relatively new. And so it needed zero repairs. I could just take it over and it would be a cash flowing asset for me. So I'm looking at 1050. My monthly payment is 450. You know, I'll probably clear somewhere between 150 and 350 a month. Uh, would be my cash flow. So I was kind of cool with that. But the seller wanted $40,000. And if you take $90,000, what's owed on the mortgage, and the seller wants $40,000, that's $130,000. And the house is only worth one hundred and ten. So I was like, okay, we might have to do something about that. This is what had my attention. That's something I normally wouldn't look at because we'd had zero equity. And then the property, uh, it would probably cash flow a little bit. But it was this... 0% interest loan that was in place. I mean, this looked like something I would have done. So if somebody uh, got there and put this in place, that was what I found appealing. And I'll tell you why in a second. So I made an offer subject to, I'm going to leave that seller finance mortgage in place. And instead of $40,000, I offered them $30,000 for their equity. And so that would be, I'm paying 30,000 plus 90, I'm paying $120,000 for this property. And it's only worth 110. So I'm still overpaying for it. But I said I offered them to do $15,000 at close, and then I'd given them $15,000 in two years. And they countered back and they said one year, which is really kind of what I wanted already. So doing one year, so I'm good with that. And uh, we had a deal. So it was really easy. Now, why would I be willing to overpay for this property? Well, we know that, you know, as real estate investors, we want to purchase property in one of two ways, by either our price and the seller's terms or the seller's price at our terms. We only need to get control of one. And they were stuck on getting $40,000 and leaving that uh, mortgage in place. But I got them down to 30. So, but I'm still overpaying by 10 grand. But I'm okay. I got the terms. And I'll show you how this works in a second and how this ROI is calculated. But when you go to put it on the purchase agreement, now that we had this agreement in theory, so to speak, or, or the idea was agreed to, how do you put it on the contract? A lot of people think you need a special subject to purchase agreement. And you really don't. In fact, I don't even know if there is such a thing. There's subject to disclosures and there's distressed seller disclosure, stuff like that. 
But as far as the purchase agreement goes, it's just the basic everyday purchase agreement. So what do you do with the purchase price? They're number two at the top. You just write in $120,000 because $90,000 for the mortgage, $30,000 for the equity or the cash that I'm giving them. Okay, so that's 90 plus 30 is 120. So that's your purchase price of the property. And now in the terms, you need to write out what you agreed to here. And a lot of people get stopped here because they think they need some special clauses or they need to be like a lawyer to write this out. And it's not necessarily the case. If as long as you can write it out in plain English and you and the seller both understand what the agreement is and your closing agent understands, that's enough for them to put those escrow instructions together. And it's enough for them to put your seller finance note together. So this is how the terms would look. Subject to existing financing. So what that means, subject to existing financing, meaning that $90,000 is going to stay in place. Now for the $30,000, uh, buyer to pay seller $15,000 cash at close. And then the second $15,000 is going to be payable like this. $175 a month for 12 months from the closing date. Then the balance is due on the 13th month. See, very simple, plain English. The seller uh, understood what, I was, what we were doing. I obviously understood because I wrote it. And it was clear enough for the closing agent to understand it as well. So that's how we put this deal together. Very simple, very straightforward. No special contracts, no special anything. Just the price and terms. Now, let's see how this calculates. So we'll take the rent it is $1,050 minus the mortgage, the one that was already placed, minus the property tax, insurance, the HOA, the property management. That gives me $214.58 is the net operating income for this property. So that's my cash flow. But I have I borrowed that 15, making payments on that second $15,000. So that second mortgage is $175, same $175 a month. So my cash flow is $39.58. Not too exciting, right? So let's figure out what the ROI is there. So $39, we have to multiply that by 12. And then we have to divide that by how much money we're putting into the deal. So we're really only putting in that $15,000 right now. Oh, so my annual cash after debt service, I think I missed something here. Oh yeah, that's good. That 39.58 times 12 is 474.96. Divide that by the 15,000. That gives me a 3.1% cash on cash return. Not super exciting, right? But there's more to your return here. And it has to do with that 0% interest because that's a return as well. And what that means is every payment I make to the mortgage, 100% of that payment is applied to the principal. 100% of that payment creates equity. And who's making that payment? My tenant is paying me to make that payment. My tenant is buying this property for me. My tenant is creating the equity position for me. So let's look at that. If I take the mortgage payment is $624. So that's the first and the second. It's 625 based there, but the, the change and everything was like 624. Multiply that by 12, because we got to get the annual mortgage payment, which is $7,500. Now we're going to divide that by how much money we put in the deal. This $15,000, right? So divide that by 50,000, 15,000, and we get a 50% ROI on the equity buy down. So now you can kind of see why I was very interested in this deal. Anytime I see 0% interest, I get a little excited. And usually I'm putting them together that rarely not rarely. This is the only time I've ever been able to take one over subject to that had 0% interest. So I have my 3.1% cash on cash plus my 50% amortization, my mortgage pay down, my debt pay down. So it gives me 53%. That doesn't count the deductions and the depreciation. It doesn't count the appreciation, right? 
But then, and then all it took me to do this was $15,000. That's all I had to put in there. So I'm getting a 15, 53% return just on those two profit centers for the $15,000. So I like to do every deal. I like to get into every deal using none of my own money. So I didn't even want to come up with a $15,000. So what I did, I was able to get a bridge loan from my lending network and that they gave that money to me. And why do I want to do that? Why do I want to borrow that? Even if I have the $15,000. And I learned this like in the beginning, because when you're short on actual money, actual currency, you have to rely on your intellectual currency, right? You have to rely on your creative deal structure. And so in the beginning of my real estate investing career, I had very little money at all to speak with, speak of. And uh, having just got out of the music business and had to close that business down because of the digital download, Napster came and destroyed me. The wife didn't like that, so she left. So I got left with all of her debt. So in 2001, I had to file bankruptcy. So I wasn't lendable. I couldn't go to a bank and I didn't have any money. So I had to learn how to do this with my brain. I had to do, learn how to do this with all these creative structures. And I got to a point where now I have money, but I still don't want to use it because I don't have to, because I have all of these tools. So I think sometimes, some regards, if you're starting out investing in real estate with no money, it could be very much to your advantage. But I got this bridge loan. And what that does is now that I have no money in the deal, it takes my 53% return and makes it an infinite ROI, an infinite return on investment. Can't calculate it. You can't divide anything by zero. So it creates an infinite return. So just with my ideas right there and other people's money, I was able to take the subject to and create an infinite return just right out of thin air, right? So I'm making that $7,500 a year in the mortgage pay down. I'm making about 500 bucks a month cash flow, not a big deal. I also get the tax deductions and I also get the benefits of appreciation. And we know that the, uh, the market is moving up and it's slowing down a little bit, but it's still moving up. So I'm anticipating this to be a really good property and it's in a really nice area. It's got a great tenant. It's going to be a great asset for me. Thanks for sitting tight while we pay our light bill. We'll be back right after this. Ever hear someone say, I have too much money? Me neither. Let's get you some more. Back to the show. The wraparound mortgage. Maybe you've heard about it, but a lot of people just don't know what it is or how it works. And so we're going to uh, go through that, all right? And why you even want to use one. So we're going to answer those questions and a lot more. And then, uh, you know, how to put the paperwork together, how to close the deal, how to find the right closing agent that's going to help you do this because... I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a lot of title agents, escrow officers, I and mean, even real estate attorneys that this would be like uh, hieroglyphics to them. They wouldn't even totally get it. So to help me out with this subject and answer your questions, I've invited a good friend of mine, very accomplished real estate investor, very knowledgeable in this area from creativeclosers.net, Miss Rochelle Jarvis. Rochelle, welcome back to the Epic Real Estate Investing Show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here with you guys today. Let's do it. Super. Yeah. No, I, I see that I teach a lot of these creative strategies and a lot of people get it and I help them actually, you know, make that connection and get the, the seller on board for the idea. But once they've got all of their contract, it kind of falls apart for them and they can't, you know, closing agents. I mean, just this yeah. is like something totally new to, to your typical title agent or escrow officer. So I want to give people a little bit of insight on that. Okay. So a wraparound mortgage, this comes straight from Investopedia, a wraparound mortgage is a type of junior loan which wraps or includes the current note due on the property. 
The wraparound loan will consist of the balance of the original loan plus an amount to cover the new purchase price for the property. These mortgages are a form of secondary financing. The seller of the property receives a secured promissory note, which is a legal IOU detailing the amount due. And a wraparound mortgage is also known as a wrap loan, overriding mortgage, agreement for sale, a carryback, or all-inclusive mortgage. Or it can also be an all-inclusive trust deed, not what state you're in. So right. to kind of give you a visual of what this looks like, we'll uh, take this house right here, value at $100,000. Here's the owner. And they have a mortgage of $50,000 on the property. And for one reason or another, the buyer can't go out and, uh, or the, the property won't qualify for a traditional finance. So something, uh, maybe something wrong with the repair wise, something about it's obsolete. Maybe it's just in an area where no one's going to lend it. could be all different types of things that make it not appealing to conventional lending. So the seller could go ahead and sell this property with their own financing and leave that bank mortgage in place. And essentially to bridge that gap between the 50,000 that they owe on it and the $50,000 of equity, they'll put another loan around it, creating a whole entire new mortgage of $100,000. So $50,000 for the seller financing, $50,000 for the bank, gives you $100,000. They can charge a little bit of an interest, bump that up a little bit. The buyer then makes the payments to the seller. The seller sends the bank their portion and the seller keeps their portion, right? So that's what a wraparound mortgage uh, looks like. I've got another couple, another couple scenarios. One way to use it as a buyer, one way to use it as a seller. And mm -hmm. I guess I'll just go through that and then we'll... Uh, spend the rest of our time with Rochelle. Okay. So we'll say that you are the buyer this time. You're going to buy a property that we'll use the same property. It's valued a hundred thousand dollars. There's this bank mortgage of $70,000 at 6%. Now something about the property is not lendable. The bank will not loan on the property until the seller makes $10,000 worth of repairs. Well, the seller doesn't want to make the repairs. So what are your options as a buyer? Well, you know, if you're going to wholesale this property or flip this property, you're going to have to go look for a cash buyer. And all of your cash buyers are going to see that $70,000 price uh, or the mortgage and they're going to deduct $10,000. So they're not going to want to pay more than $60,000 for it. So your typical wholesaler, your typical real estate investor would be out of options. Like, well, I can't give you more than $60,000, but you owe $70,000, so you're short. So either you got to negotiate a short sale or the seller has to come in with money to close. And they never like that either. But what you can do as the creative real estate investor is you can offer to purchase this property via a wrap. And you can put a new mortgage around this, say $80,000, and then go ahead and give the seller $5,000 to be on their way. So they got something out of the deal. So you have an existing mortgage of $75,000 at 6%. So your down payment was 5K that you gave the seller. You got this new mortgage of 75, you get $10,000 repair, and now you got $10,000 of equity. And this might be a really good, you might want to do this for a property that would be good in your portfolio. You just needed a little help in, and now you got it. And all it really took you was the price of the down payment, the price of repair. So for $15,000, you have got this property yep. added to your portfolio. Love it. Am I all right, Rochelle, so far? You're doing great. I love these examples. It really breaks it down for the seller and buyer. You got it. And we can talk about other reasons why, but let's get through your slides and we'll get to that. For sure. Yeah, one more. So let's yep. say, let's go to this scenario that you're the actual seller. Okay. Uh -huh. And same scenario, value is $100,000 and you got this bank mortgage of 60000 bucks. Now, what you can do when you're selling a house is you can sell your property for a premium if your buyer, particularly if it's an unlendable buyer, can't go to a bank or doesn't want to go to a bank. So a lot of people will pay more for a property just for the convenience. So if you prefer to, um, a wrap, you could sell this for $110,000. I would for sure in today's market, 
but pretty much any market. So you get a 20% down payment. That goes to you, the seller. You wrap around the balance at 88,000 bucks. You get the 22,000. Then you get the monthly payments from your 88,000. So you get $585 there, but then you have to pay the existing mortgage because you left that in place. So your balance there would be $106 a month in cash flow. Yeah. And there you go. Love so it. that's why you might want to do it as a seller. So those are the two scenarios. Love it, love it. Perfect. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what you do all across the country in all 50 states is you close these creative deals for people. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your service? Yeah. So um, con- at Constant Close, that's exactly what we do. Um, we do do wholesale and creative, but we've gotten pretty popular for our creative niche, right? Because back to what Matt was saying in the beginning, you guys, is that learning how to do this or having partners knowing how to do this, even attorneys, it can be very, very hard when you're adding all of these creative strategies, um, especially a wrap. Because uh, wraps can go very, very deep. They can get into the weeds. I mean, you could take your wrap note and put two wrap notes underneath that. So it's really our value is coming in, understanding the process, making sure that everybody's on the same page, everybody's learning at the same time. And then making sure that we do it the right way. And if you don't mind, I'd love to go that way in regards to, so what does that look like, right? Mm-hmm. And as we're explaining the process of what that scenario would look like for the seller or the buyer, there are some things that I want you guys to write down or pay attention to when you are doing these notes. Uh, with my company, Constant Clothes, I like to play or I do play like devil's advocate for all of my clients, making sure that when you're done with a property and you're taking it down, that it goes into your portfolio, does exactly what it needs to do, and you're not thinking about it. So what are those different elements that you need in your transaction that I would recommend? Um, and if you're doing one right now, listen to this, take a look at it, and see what you could implement. So a couple of things. So like Matt had mentioned, we you do have some what we like to call homestead buyers. What are homestead buyers? Homestead buyers are people that like to buy these wrap notes or these wrap mortgages, and they're called different things in different states because some of them aren't makeable. Some of them might have had an issue with their credit, gone through a divorce, had a foreclosure, but that doesn't mean that they don't have the funds or the income to be able to pay on this wrap note. So what does that mean? That means that you can qualify them through a national underwriter to make sure that they qualify for this wrap mortgage. Now, why would you want to do that? If your interest is in wrap mortgages or notes and you want to add a big part of that to your portfolio, it's a very good strategy. And it's also making sure that you could never, ever be in a court or anything like that uh, to where you could be accused of predatory lending. Like I said, getting the deal done the right way uh, so you don't have to worry about it after you close. So what these national underwriters are called is RMLOs. So, and you know what, Matt, I couldn't even think of what RMLO stands for, but I know they are a national underwriter. Do you know what the abbreviations are? Registered Mortgage Loan Originator. Yeah. And and that's exactly what they do. We'll take a homestead buyer that has the 20% down and they'll qualify them. They'll look at their W-2s. Now they're going to be a little bit more lenient with the interest rate, right? Because we know that these are these types of buyers, but they're going to make sure that they can make those payments. They'll certify them and say, yes, they can qualify for this mortgage. And that is for your files to say, I have done my due diligence, making sure that this person or this entity, whatever it might be, can qualify or can handle making these payments. 
Um, so that would be something in the transaction that I would be looking for. And also making sure that your notes are written the right way. So someone might think, hey, I'm hiring an attorney. I'm hiring a title company to do these rap notes. Why would I need to make sure that they're written the right way? You guys, it's always just people are human. People make mistakes. Um, this is something that I would do if I had your transaction is saying, was the right people put on there? Is the terms exactly what they have agreed to? Is it 500000 at 5% with the installment payment? Is there any other nuances? Is there any balloon payment? So all of those terms, do your due diligence, make sure you're looking over all of those notes because once they get recorded, it's kind of a mess to go back and have to refix things. So those are things that I could think of just right off the back in your transactions. That's something we do. But if you have your own, run them through an Armalo. I know it's an extra cost, guys, but it's worth it for your business. At least I think it is. What do you think, Matt? What do you think in regards to? Well, if you're selling to resident owners, they're almost required. Yeah. You know, if you can, uh, I think they give you what two or three they allow you to do. Right. If you go above that and you make a business out of it, then... And you're selling to resident owners, but actually I live in the house, then you have to use them. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And there's different um, things. I mean, a lot of people do these in LLCs, but you know, he's exactly right. There's other things you need to think of. Dodd-Frank, there's other laws that we need to pay attention to when we're doing these wraps. And that is making sure you have, you know, someone like an expert like me or a mentor like Matt that can kind of educate you on how to get it done the right way. Um, to be honest with you, this is my favorite strategy. I love taking these down. One other thing that I could add, if you don't mind if I go there, there's a oh, lot of people, <laughs> you you teach about sub two, right? And the value of sub two, where they can wrap these sub two mortgages to a homestead buyer. So the other thing that I'd like to make a recommendation, guys, is when you're wrapping a sub two loan, what are some things that you need to be thinking of for this homestead buyer. Now, obviously this homestead buyer, the nature of their life is not to know all the different nuances about the sub two. So let's make sure that if we're wrapping a creative deal like subject two, that we have all of our disclosures, that we, the homestead buyer knows that they're taking over an underlining lien of um, someone else's credit, that they understand that they can't call the lender, that they have all of the information to make sure to um, that they can make those payments. So what would that look like? Hire a servicing company, you know, hire a servicing company, put those things in the process that can make the process efficient and easy. So you can follow that diagram that Matt did where they debit the buyer's checking account. That money goes to you as the seller because the fact that you wrap that note, you are the seller and then the seller can take that money and pay the underlining lien. So make sure you're adding all of these things in the process uh, to get it done the right way. Perfect. So let me ask you this. And we're talking about paperwork. And I know paperwork is an issue, um, not issue, but it's something to be very much concerned about with uh, when it comes to dealing with selling to resident owners. Right. So that investor to investor, like nobody cares. It's the, the resident owner that comes into play. That's typically where you're going to be able to sell the property when using a rack and get that premium dollar for it. So it's important if you're looking to maximize the return on the deals that you get. Right. So disclosures and disclaimers that we have all of that, all that can be taken care of in due diligence. The, the important part is to get the actual agreement signed first. Like let's get it agreed to in principle by the seller and let's put it in writing. And then once you've got it in writing and take it to somebody like Rochelle, 
there's actually nobody like Rochelle. So take it to Rochelle. And then she'll, she'll give you the disclaimers and the disclosures and everything else that you can go get signed during to uh, due diligence, correct? Right. Absolutely. Perfect. Yep. So what do you need from the seller or from the, the buyer, from the investor that's going to hire you? Like they, do you, you need a special contract or you can just use your standard everyday purchase agreement? I would love for people to use my contract just because my contracts are set up the right way that make it clear and concise about what the terms are and all the nuances. If you have it locked down um, with your homestead buyer or rat buyer, we can come in and just add everything supplemental that we need. So if I, I will overview your contract, I will make sure it has everything that I would want to be in there. If it doesn't, I will add to it. But I think the best way to do it is to kind of see how to do it the right way first. So use my contract. We can help you write it up. And there's so much value in that because we can show you how to do it, right? How do you list it? How do you write it? What's the verbiage? Balloon payment? How do you do? Because there's a lot of nuances when it comes to these. So that's what I would suggest is allow us to teach you how to write it up. But if for some reason you have a PSA, we'll look through it and we'll make the changes that that are needed. Perfect. No, and you want to do it the right way. Mm -hmm. But my whole thing with my students is don't let trying to do it the right way, get in the way of you actually closing the deal. A hundred percent. Get the deal done, get the deal signed. All, I, all my students, I say, just go out there and make a mess, get a signature, bring it yes. back and we can fix it up later. Yes, I right? agree with that a hundred percent. Yeah, don't lose the deal. Don't lose, don't the, lose deal. the deal. Don't, don't wait. Deal. Don't wait. Yeah. And it's so I was Rochelle's contract. I can't find it. <laughs> I know. Put it on a napkin. Get something signed and then she'll give you the document. Yeah, you definitely could. Yeah, absolutely. I yeah. agree. And everything, as she was saying, everything can be done via supplements and addendums and, and all that stuff can be handled yep. during abilities. But yep. laugh at the deal. Yep. Cool. All right. So it's, it all starts essentially with a subject two, though. Mm-hmm. Right, it's subject to, and then you're wrapping wrapping around seller financing around that. Yeah, right. So, yeah, no, right. you're exactly right. And I, I'm feeling, I'm always asking myself, what would I ask if I was learning about this? Now, why? Why do people want to do this? Right, we're showing you kind of how it get done and the things that you need to put into the transaction. Well, you guys, the whole thing of this, right, is you learn how to build capital through wholesale, but part of creative finance and the power of it is cash flow. And it's cash flow with you not having to be a landlord, uh, which is, uh, in my mind, the best type of, uh, that's probably why it's one of my best investment strategies is because you become the seller, the lender, and you're able to get that cash flow. So the back to the diagram that Matt did, I mean, it was only 106. We know that cash flow could look different if it's a homestead buyer, if it becomes an Airbnb, if you use a different strategy, but that's the whole name of the game of why these are amazing is because you can get that cash flow. Now that wrap note that you have, that's in different states, it'll be called a deed of trust, a note, a wrap mortgage. But even that wrap note, like I said, notes can get, you can get into the weeds a little bit more. You could even sell those notes. You could even sell those notes and gain capital that way. There's a lot of things that you can do with this, but the whole name of the game is cash flow, right? And that's why they're so powerful and amazing and why a lot of people like them. Plus, Giving somebody a solution to be a homeowner is something in my mind that is gratifying. There's a lot of people out there that are wanting these second chances to be homeowners. They have the money, they have the job. Uh, so it's gratifying to me to say, listen, I know you had an issue with your credit, something happened, and I can provide them with a home and they can be a homeowner. So them paying that higher purchase price and higher interest rate, I get that question. Why would someone do that? Because they want homeownership. 
it's not something that's hard to convince people to do. It's a, a value and solution for these um, homestead buyers, for sure. For sure. I mean, that's, that's yeah. part of our whole promotion is, you know, why rent when you can own? Yeah. We'll position it and structure our wraps to be in a place where it comes just slightly less of a payment than what it costs them to rent. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're like, okay, well, and even though we're making a whole lot more money on the deal and we might not be making the, the huge amount of cash flow that we put as, as a landlord, right. but you know, well, instead of a 30 year amortized, maybe it's 40 year amortized, right? right. Maybe it's, it's, you've got, you purchased at a really good price and now you can sell it with a really high interest rate just to bring up that, the payment to be just less than rent. So there's a lot of different ways that you could approach this. A hundred percent. This is a, a very much an, an advanced strategy, uh-huh. right? This is not probably what someone's going to do on their very first one. And even people that have, have got some experience under their belt and kind of mess it up. What do you see commonly, you know, maybe some of the mistakes investors make or some of the reasons that they don't go all the way to the finish line? I would say people just don't know how to sell these the right way. They don't understand kind of what we're talking about, the value, who is your rep buyer's. And maybe not having access to a mentor, things of that sort. So I think sometimes they get so excited about getting the deal that they forget to do some of the disclosures that are really important and it ends up kind of biting them in the butt. And then making sure that their terms are the right way. What I see a lot of times is you guys need to also be paying attention to your interest rate, right? Um, Making sure that you're not you're doing it, it's fair, but at the same time, it's not ridiculously high. So it's really just people understanding this type of strategy, who you sell it to, the value and the solutions that you are providing, especially if you are wrapping a sub two mortgage. So do your due diligence to follow someone like Matt or hire someone like me, like an expert to know how to be able to put these deals together or JV with somebody. I'm sure some of your students could be such a, a value add to these people of learning how to do it the right way. So I would say them just not know how to work their terms, not disclosing it the right way. And I do see that a lot of people do not want to hire an RMLO. Um, there's a lot of people that don't want that extra cost, but you guys, it I couldn't say it enough about how it's invaluable uh, to just do it the right way. So those are the kind of the things that I see all the time is them not wanting to do those things or not knowing quite how to structure their terms. For sure. The, the term, structuring of the terms, I would say what I see where people have a little bit of a challenge is, you know, we're here talking about this. We talk about this every day. This is right. our industry. We have jargon and we have this wraparound mortgage. We have subject to. Right. And remember, sellers, particularly those sellers of the motivated nature, uh, you know, aren't finding themselves at the best place in life at the moment. And you start dropping those types of terms on people, on sellers, you can really confuse them. Yes. Right. So want to really practice on explaining these things as if you were talking to a fifth grader mm-hmm. and, and not in a patronizing way, but just in a very simple structure. Yeah. So this is like for a mortgage, this is what we're going to do. I'll go ahead and I'm going to take over the payments and I'll take over the maintenance on your property. I'll go ahead and take over those payments. And then uh, we'll give you a little bit of extra, which I'll make those payments directly to you. And we'll just kind of bundle it all up into one nice package. So it's all managed and everybody knows exactly where it's going to go. So the bank uh, on your current level will get their money, then you'll get your money, and then I'll get the house and everyone will be happy. Does that make sense? Yep, perfect. Just like that. So I didn't use wrap. I didn't use subject to. I didn't use anything like that. I just said you're going to get all of your money, and the bank's going to get theirs on time, and you're going to get yours on time, and some people will go and visit your grandkids in Arizona or whatever, (laughs) whatever their motivation is, right? 
I agree a hundred percent. I think sometimes, like I just said, it's not the nature of their world, mm-hmm. right? So they're probably right. like, what are you talking about? And that could lead us into another conversation of how sometimes there's risk, right? Because we don't do it the right way. They're not going to, you know, if a lender calls them and they say, hey, I actually sold my property to Rochelle, they're not going to remember how they sold it. So it is really good to kind of bring it down, talk to them on their level and help them understand it. And what you said was perfect. That was a perfect way of explaining it. Sweet. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right. So if you want to uh, work with Rochelle and have her close your deal, like a pro, the pro that she is, you go to creativeclosers.net for your next deal. And then uh, Rochelle, so I know you're going to be working with me, uh, joining me next weekend. Yeah. What do you have planned? What, do you have something new that you're going to be sharing with everybody? Yeah. I like to talk to everybody about kind of what I'm seeing. I'm seeing a lot of foreclosures right now. You guys, uh, we all know that there has been some distress over the last couple of years with COVID. And back to my point of being able to provide solutions, I'm always looking for something um, intentfully in my business, how I can impact people. The bottom line is to make money, to to get a portfolio, but it's being able to serve these sellers. Um, in my mind, foreclosure leads are leads that are basically raising their hand and saying, I need help and I need assistance. Uh, and they don't know that we can serve them in these ways. So I told Matt that I would love to share with this thing that we have going on next week, my financial foreclosure ebook and share it with your audience of giving them some value of if you have somebody that's going to auction in the next week or two, how can you push off that foreclosure date so you can find a solution for them? So I would love to give that to everybody that enrolls or signs up um, as a value just from me to constant close to help you help those people because foreclosures are back. And so that's something that I'm seeing in the industry and I want to provide some value. So the investors can get out there and help them. Rochelle, thank you very much for being here. Really appreciate you. Perfect. And that wraps up the epic show. If you found this episode valuable, who else do you know that might too? There's a really good chance you know someone else who would. And when their name comes to mind, please share it with them and ask them to click the subscribe button when they get here and I'll take great care of them. God loves you and so do I. Health, peace, blessings, and success to you. I'm Matt Terrio, living the dream. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.